Hello, welcome to the Theology Etc. podcast. As always, my name is Forrest Antimaceris, and uh, we've got some excited stuff going on at the Theology Etc. podcast these days. Uh, in the first place, this episode is brought to you by Blaine McKinney. Blaine McKinney, good friend of mine. He was actually on the podcast, um, I don't know, maybe, well, a couple episodes ago. He came on and talked about missions. If you haven't listened to that yet, make sure to go back and to listen to that. I know some people are working through the episodes and maybe they haven't gotten to that one yet. But I sat down with Blaine. We had this awesome conversation about missions and some kind of, uh, you know, different aspects of it, creative access missions, hurdles that maybe we're putting in front of missionaries, you know, the future of missions. If you haven't listened to that, make sure to listen to that episode. Uh, It's really encouraging, really informative. But Blaine is the official first uh, supporter, monthly supporter of the Theology Etc. podcast. And uh, if you're interested in joining him and joining uh, that effort for as little as 99 cents a month, go ahead and visit anchor.fm slash theology dash etc slash support or find this episode or find our website theologyetc.org. Go there and uh, click on the support tab or find the link in this show's description. Uh, But a big, big shout out to Blaine. Uh, And I hope those of you who enjoy the content, love the content, may be interested in supporting that you'll do that as well. Definitely not going to make any money off of it. It's just to help with some of the costs of uh, hardware, software, web hosting, etc. Um, but there you have it. Yeah, Blaine. Big shout out to him. And uh, listen to that episode if you haven't yet. But I'm excited to do another episode. And, uh, you know, I've got a list of things that, um, I guess, episode ideas uh, that some of you guys have helped me come up with that I've kind of had brewing for a while. And this is one of those things that I think needs to be talked about a lot more, maybe. Uh, and I feel like I say that every episode, but I mean it, really. I do. And uh, when I was looking at kind of my list of ideas, this is something that really jumped out to me. And I was like, man, I, I'm going to talk about that. And that is this idea of comfort and of comfort zones and kind of like the bubble of safeness we usually operate in and build around ourselves. And I mean, everybody, like this isn't something, I'm not trying to point fingers. This is something I do. It's kind of just like, human nature like this is something we all do we operate in these zones that are comfortable for us Um, but oftentimes those zones of comfort that bubble of safeness can become not only a stumbling block but it can keep us from doing what we need to do and comfort if we're not careful can essentially become an idol Um, and it prohibits us from greatness it prohibits us from success it prohibits us uh, from glorifying God um, more than we are right now. It prohibits us from, uh, you know, giving God our all. It prohibits us from evangelizing. It prohibits us really from all kinds of things. And I think part of the challenge of the Christian life is recognizing that and seeking a way, uh, not necessarily to get around it, but to push that zone. You know, it's been said before that life really starts, um, you know, where your comfort zone ends. Kind of stepping out of that and doing things that maybe you're not comfortable with, things that maybe aren't natural to you, uh, but things that need to be done nonetheless. Uh, And that's something that we're going to talk about today uh, in this episode. And part of what sparked my, I I, uh, I guess, uh, desire to talk about this is I was reading this old old commentary on the book of Romans by Moses E. Lard. And if you haven't, if you, if, if you're interested in kind of like restoration theology and, um, and commentaries, I guess, 
uh, than, <laughs> or the book of Romans, I would suggest it to you. I mean, there's, there's some uh, areas of it where he doesn't add much commentary or he kind of uh, doesn't explain as much as I wish he would. But overall, I think it's a great book, especially considering how old it is. And Moses E. Lard, if you're not familiar with his life, he's worth uh, some trips to the library or some internet searches to learn about and to read about. He had a really awesome restoration neck beard, which I guess was the style back in the uh, late 1800s. Um, but he also, he, uh, he, he wrote some, some interesting material. He kind of fell out of favor with the Brotherhood and with uh, a lot of Christians. Toward the end of his life, he started espousing a uh, doctrine of annihilationism, essentially. And he was kind of, well, he wasn't kind of, he was written off by a majority of the Brotherhood. Um, but that's beside the point. In his commentary on Romans, which I think is, is pretty good, um, he, he has this really lengthy introduction, which is really interesting. He introduces the Apostle Paul for a, for a lot uh, of, of this lengthy introduction. Like he's talking about the tribe of Benjamin. He's talking about all this different stuff. Um, but it's a good commentary either way. If you can get your hands on it, do it. He like uh, translates Romans himself from the Greek and then makes commentary on it. And uh, But you know, brush up on your Roman numerals beforehand. That's something about those old books, those old commentaries. They didn't use those Arabic numbers. They use the Roman numerals like chap for chapters and verses. And it could be hard to follow if you're not uh, familiar with. Uh, so he's he's got this commentary in the book of Romans. And in the beginning, you know, he's introducing Paul, the Apostle Paul. Who was he? His lineage, all this different stuff. And obviously there's, there's uh, you know, only so much that we know about, about him, about his life. But Moses Lard makes a really interesting point about the tribe of Benjamin. And, uh, you know, the, the, Benjer, the, the tribe of Benjamin... Uh, ended up being one of uh, one of the smallest, you know, the least. Um, I think there's there's one tribe smaller than the tribe of Benjamin. But Benjamin, even though it was you know one of the smallest tribes, second smallest, it still had it still had a an interesting legacy. You know, the first king obviously of um, of Israel, Saul, came from the tribe of Benjamin. Mordecai uh, came from the tribe of Benjamin. If you're familiar with the story of Esther. And then, of course, you've got Paul, who came from the tribe of Benjamin as a Jew. Uh, but the Benjaminites, as they're known, were known for a couple of different things. But one of the things that they were known for um, was their their archery, being, you know, masters of the bow. A lot of people have said that, uh, you know, they were all left-handed. Um, that's probably not the case. Rather, and uh, in this commentary, this is pointed out, uh, they were trained to shoot the bow with their left hand, even though you know a majority of them, like any other splice of the congre- I mean, of the population, even though a majority of them were right-handed, they would train to shoot the bow with the left hand. Uh, and the reason for that being, as it's worded in this commentary by Moses um, Moses E. Lard, he says that the acquired skill, which comes from laborious training, is always more accurate than that which is more natural. Uh, because it's less cultivated. Um, so you think about that, and that's true. I mean, you know, like for the example of these Benjaminites, it was definitely an uncomfortable thing for them to try to shoot the bow with their left hand, majority of them being right-handed, just statistically. Um, so they would train and train and practice to shoot the bow with their left hand uh, from a young age. And the result would end up being that they were known for their archery. Why? Because of the care and the intentionality and the practice and the labor that they had to put into learning how to shoot the bow with their left hand, they ended up becoming better than the archers who just, you know, use their predominant hand naturally. Why? 
because of the intentionality that went into it, because of the labor that went into it, because of the care and the practice and everything that was involved in, even though you're right-handed, learning how to shoot that bow with your left hand. And the result was excellence. The result was greatness. Why? Because they didn't just follow the, the current of comfort. They didn't just follow the flow of what felt um, like the safe zone or what felt like you know it was the easy choice. Um, they, they put that hard work into doing what was more difficult so that it could be better. And this obviously, I think, is a principle that applies to a lot of different areas of our lives, um, whether it's at work or at school or whatever it is, uh, you know, to not get by with the bare minimum, but to push ourselves and to challenge ourselves and to truly try to do great things. It's going to take that kind of intentionality. It's going to take that kind of labor. Honestly, it's going to be intense. It's going to take time. And in our culture, time is probably, I would say it's one of the top currencies. And like, think about this with me. And the first time I thought about this, I was playing, I don't know if you've ever played that app, that game Clash of Clans, but when you, when you play Clash of Clans, you, there's in-app purchases, right? So in other words, like you're playing Clash of Clans and you can buy things in the game, even though the game's free. And that's pretty much, you know, that's how they try to make their money. Um, but most of the in-app purchases, if not all of them, they don't really buy you anything you can't get from playing the game. What they buy you is time. So let's say in the game, you know, you're trying to get these jewels. You can get these jewels naturally by waiting, you know, 36 plus hours. Or you could pay 20 bucks and get that many jewels right now. Essentially, what the in-app purchase is in this game is time. You're buying time. Um, and that's really time and convenience. Those are the two biggest things right now. If, you know, if you're in the service industry, if you're making apps, if you're making whatever, uh, those are the two most lucrative things in the world. Uh, we want to save time and we want to have convenience. Um, you know, everything from Airbnb to Uber to, I mean, name the most, you know, popular, most up and coming businesses, apps, etc. What they're doing is they're either saving you time or they're giving you convenience. These are things that we value in our society. And I don't think all of that is bad. But when that seeps into our Christianity, we've got a problem. And the only way we can keep it from seeping into our Christianity, if we're intentional about it not seeping into our Christianity, otherwise our Christianity, uh, how we worship, how we evangelize, how we do everything is going to look like what we've been trained to view as most, uh, you know, valuable. We're going to want to save time and we're going to want to save effort. But we need to remember that in the things that are most important, time and effort, they need to be expended. We need to put a lot of time, a lot of effort into these things if, if we're going to end up doing them how God would have us to do them. Uh, and this is across the board. And we place a lot of stock in culture, I mean, in comfort as a culture and as a society to the point where I think sometimes it becomes an idol. And we don't evangelize because of comfort. And we don't share our faith because of comfort. And we don't maybe show our faith because of comfort. And we don't give our all in worship to God because of comfort. We don't want to be that zealot guy, that weird guy who is willing to be uncomfortable for God. But when you go to the Bible, that's exactly what we're called to do. Faith, if lived out legitimately, is going to be uncomfortable at times. That's a guarantee. That's not me being pessimistic or, or cynical. Faith, if lived out correctly, will at times be uncomfortable. That's a promise. 
it's been true throughout the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. And I think you see that especially in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, these early Christians, comfort is like the last thing on their list. If they're going to make a list of priorities, comfort's probably at the bottom. I mean, people are selling massive plots of land for large sums of money to give to other people. That's an uncomfortable thing. People are looking persecution in the faith, in the face, sorry. They're looking persecution in the face and endeavoring to keep on going, to keep on preaching, even doing so more boldly. Why? Because comfort's not is what's important to them. You know, comfort isn't their God. God is their God. So if they have to put comfort aside to walk by faith, they're willing to do it. And I think, you know, and I'm not trying to, you know, uh, bash everybody over the head. I think there's a lot of people who are willing to put God over comfort and who are willing to walk by faith and not by comfort. Um, but I think it's something that speaking to myself, I need to do a better job on. Maybe you're there with me. Maybe there's things you would do by faith, but comfort, or at least the desire for comfort keeps you from doing that. Um, and if we're not careful, comfort can keep us from being um, the people God has called us to be. It can keep us from being um, um, what what God truly, truly expects from us. Um, and there's a couple of examples in the Bible that I want to look at for a little bit. The first one that comes to my mind initially is in Acts chapter 8. And it's really just one verse, and it's pretty simple. And it's not, like, it's not one of those, like, I wouldn't preach, like, a three-point sermon on this or whatever. It's just a little detail that that shows where the priorities of the um, the first century church was. So in Acts chapter 7, if you're familiar, just we're going to give some context. In Acts chapter 7, you've got Stephen, who's an early disciple, and he's before all these Jewish leaders, and he, he gives them this really lengthy talk, I guess. Like, I hate to use the word sermon, um, but essentially, I mean, he's just preaching to them, right? He's telling them, like, look, you're just like your ancestors who refuse to obey God, you're stiff-necked, all this different stuff, and they end up stoning him, of course, which is horrible. He's essentially like the first recorded martyr uh, in, in, in the Christian faith. And then, but you've got Saul, right, who ends up becoming Paul, but you've got Saul of Tarsus, who's there, and he kind of, you know, he, he approves of, of Stephen's murder, and he even holds the coats of those who are, who are throwing the stones. It's hard to throw a stone with your jacket on, I guess. But then Saul turns around and he starts ravaging the church. And that's Acts chapter 8. You know, Saul approves of his execution. And uh, in Acts chapter 8, it says that uh, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So you've got Saul and he's persecuting the church pretty heavily. And if there's things that are uncomfortable, it's being dragged out of your own house and thrown into prison. That like might be like the poster child for uncomfort, right? I don't even know if uncomfort's a word, but that's one of the beauties of English. I can just add a prefix to a word and you know what I'm talking about. You know, this is not a comfortable thing. But then verse 4 comes in, and verse 4 is kind of like, oh man, it's just like, the, uh, uh, we'll just read it. Verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Okay, and, and then he goes on discussing some details of what Philip was doing in his, in his preaching and in his ministry. And if you're reading it, like if you're just reading through the book of Acts, 
it really just seems like a minor detail. Like it's it's just like a like a like a small independent clause there. It's almost like a transition between two bigger things. But when you think about what's going on here, you see early Christians, and it's not for the first time. We're going to look at an example, I think, before this. But you see them, and their comfort zone has essentially been demolished. Like, if if there's a geographical location that you're most comfortable, it's probably your hometown. It's probably your house. And these Christians are scattered away from their hometown. They're scattered away from their house, their families, etc., because of persecution for their faith. So what do they do? They say, well, man, this is really uncomfortable. I think I'm going to stop. I'm going to give up on this whole Christianity thing so I can move back to Jerusalem. No, 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 no. Wherever they are, they still continue to preach the word at risk of experiencing more discomfort, at risk of getting kicked out of the place where they're staying as, you know, people who moved there in the first place. So comfort for them wasn't worth not sharing the word for. When you look at what Saul was doing, and when you look at the persecution that they faced, and then what the reaction was, you can see that God was using this persecution to spread the gospel, because these people were scattered, and then they preached when they were scattered. But here's the thing. If they viewed comfort above faith, if they valued comfort more than they valued living by faith, there's no way that would have worked. They would have been scattered abroad and they just would have been silent and they wouldn't have said anything. Um, But that's not what happened. They continued to preach the same message that they were kicked out of their hometown for supporting. Um, And that that I think is awesome. And I think we can we can learn from that and we can grow from that. And hopefully we can uh, we can see um, that in this example, we can be more like that. And now I don't think I mean, it depends on where you live in the world. But I know in America, especially the American South. You're not going to get kicked out of your hometown for preaching the gospel or for supporting its message. Um, I think it's a lot more, you know, the the discomfort we experience is a lot more. I don't I don't really know how to word it, but it's like we want to avoid awkward social situations. Uh, We don't want to be seen as that guy who is, you know, like radically Christian, who's uh, willing to, you know, sacrifice social norms for the sake of talking to other people, whatever it may be, we need to put whatever discomfort we think we're going to gain aside and just say, look, how no matter how uncomfortable this becomes, I'm still going to do what God has called me to do. Uh, But we just need to be honest with ourselves and be more intentional and think about these things when we're in these situations. Um, Christianity isn't, isn't fostered by comfort, it's fostered by sacrifice. You know, the things that are worth having in life are going to be difficult. The things that are worth doing in life are going to be difficult. And I think one of the number one things that gets in our way is just our comfort zones, what we view as comfortable, whether socially or or economically or whatever it means, like across the spectrum, living by faith oftentimes is going to be uncomfortable. Um, Like give until it hurts and then give a little bit more. That's what we see uh, from the early church. That's what we see about early Christians both in hospitality, having people over, being involved in people's lives, building, uh, you know, that community that we see in early Christianity, whether it's that, 
whether it's evangelizing and going through extraordinary circumstances and preaching the gospel to as many people as possible in as many walks of life as possible and just doing that day in and day out um, and kind of living on mission, as Blaine described it in that episode uh, toward, you know, a, a couple episodes ago. Um, whatever that looks like, we need to put comfort aside sometimes to do what God has called us to do. Um, and we just, we need, we need to be mindful of it. And another example of, from the book of Acts, and I mean, there's, there's plenty that I could have here, but another example from the book um, of Acts is in Acts chapter four. And we actually, we actually talked about this or read this scripture, um, the episode before last, talking about praying the scriptures and seeing that it's a biblical practice, the early church did it, all those different things. Um, but in this example, we see that um, comfort again was something that early Christians were willing to put aside in order to do what, what they knew God would have them to do. And in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are pretty much arrested and put before this Jewish council and they kind of have to give a defense. And then finally they're released and then the believers pray and they don't pray for the persecution to cease. They don't pray that these men will never capture their friends again. They don't pray that they'll have an easy life. What they pray in verse 29 is that God will grant to his servants to continue to speak his word with all boldness. They're aware of the threats against them as Christians. And they don't pray that God will silence those who are making the threats. They don't pray that God will just like flick them off the face of existence. They say, God, in the face of this, give us the boldness to continue. And I think that that is very similar to a prayer that we need to be praying today. And that is, God, in the face of all the things that I think are going to make me uncomfortable, at, you know, once I start actually like stepping out on faith and doing things that I'm not comfortable doing, God, give me the boldness to continue doing them and to even do more things. That rather than you know, God, make this easier for me. Instead, pray, God, you know, just help me to do it. Um, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable, but it's it's going to be worth it, you know, and whatever that may be. I think it's different things for different people. Maybe we're not comfortable, like, getting lost in the singing when we sing a Sunday morning and realizing that this is to God, and we don't want to look silly, like, getting into this singing to the Lord. Like, we need to understand that we're offering this to God as worship. Like, it might not be socially comfortable, uh, but it's something that, you know, hopefully we're willing to do. Maybe it's giving. Maybe it's like, you know, I, I want to live a certain comfort, you know, I want to have a certain amount of comfort in my life. And to do that takes a certain amount of money. I'm not willing to, whether it's use that money to support missionaries or use that money uh, to, to help people out who are truly in need, whatever it is, um, you know, comfort can keep us from, from, you know, financial comfort can keep us from doing things that we can do with that money. Because we start viewing money as inherently valuable rather than instrumentally valuable. And what I mean by that is money in and of itself has no value. I mean, like, especially, and I'm not trying to get into, like, economic theory or, like, currency or, like, the gold standard or anything. But, like, you live in America or wherever you live, like, you get the piece of paper. Like, what is it? Like, it's paper. It's paper dyed green. There's some cotton in it, I think. You know, in America, we make our money. It's a weird texture. I'm not a big fan of cash, but that's beside the point. Like, what is that in and of itself? What value does it have in and of itself? None. The value that it has is what you can do with it. You can help out a missionary. You can help out somebody who needs help. You can, like, there's so much you can do. You can help the local church. You can, like, there's so much you can do with money. That's where its value is. Um, but if we're not comfortable or we want to preserve our comfort by keeping more to ourselves, obviously that's going to be a problem. Um, so kind of the idol of comfort can creep up in all these different ways. 
in our finances, in how much we give to God when we worship Him, in uh, what we're willing to do in our communities. Like there's, you know, discomfort um, is a powerful motivator and it keeps us oftentimes from doing things that we need to do. Uh, one more example, and this is kind of fresh on my mind because this is a study I'm doing um, with uh, the congregation uh, where I serve, but in the book of Philippians, which of course, you know, is as they call it a uh, prison epistle, um, Paul says something that I think is really interesting. And when we're talking about getting out of our comfort zones, I think it's especially uh, pertinent or relevant. You know, Paul, like if you, if I challenge you, if you're not too familiar with the story of Paul's arrest or like imprisonment, why it happened, how it went down the way it did, read Acts chapters 20 through 28. And you see that Jesus comes to him and is like, look, the same way you talked about me in Jerusalem, I need you to talk about me in Rome. And essentially the only way that this is going to happen is while Paul's in chains. So, uh, you know, through God's providence, the Roman government is just like shipping him around all over the place. He's appealing to Caesar. So he's guaranteed a trip to Rome as a Roman citizen, all this different stuff. And the purpose of it isn't to preserve Paul's comfort. You're like there's no way being arrested is comfortable or being in chains is comfortable. That's not the point. The purpose is to preach the gospel at the cost of discomfort. Um, I mean, that's essentially Paul's mission in a nutshell. Um, and we are to, uh, you know, follow his example as he follows Christ. But in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 12, uh, Paul, you know, he's in chains and he's talking about how how what's happened to him is, has served for the advance of the gospel. And essentially, in his words, that makes it worth it. Philippians 1, um, verses 12 through 14, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And those of the brothers, uh, and sorry, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Uh, so you see that Paul is essentially saying, "Look, my imprisonment, you know, my chains, this circumstance is worth it, because it is gone. It is gone." Uh, to advance the gospel. And he's been able to preach the gospel to the whole imperial guard. And then at the end of the book of Philippians, he even says um, that all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Because of Paul's willingness to be uncomfortable, he's preached the gospel to some of the most powerful people in the Roman Empire. Because of Paul's willingness to be uncomfortable, uh, the brothers around him were encouraged uh, to be willing to put their comfort likewise to the side to speak the word more boldly. And I think when you step out on faith and you're willing to be uncomfortable, not only do big things happen, like converting the Imperial Guard and converting members of Caesar's household in the case of Paul, um, so big things happen, but also people around you are encouraged, man. I, and I think if you've ever seen this, um, you know what I'm talking about. If you know somebody and you know them well, and you know that they've sacrificed comfort for the gospel. They've sacrificed comfort to, to walk out, to, to walk by faith. You know that's encouraging to you. And you look at them and you say, if they can do it, I can do it too. And if you, if you're going to be willing to sacrifice comfort um, to live by faith, other people are going to be encouraged to do likewise. Um, they're going to look at you and they're going to say, you know what, if they can put comfort aside, to do what God would have them to do, I can do it too. And I hope that as a church, as a body of believers, as God's people, 
we don't let comfort get in the way of us doing what he what we know god would have us to do to the best of our ability um and whether that comfort is you know whether the thing that's driving us from you know stepping out on faith is you know social awkwardness or whether it's well how are people going to respond to this either in the brotherhood or out of the brotherhood how you know, what are they going to say in return? Or maybe it's, I'd rather spend my time doing less productive but comfortable things. Whatever it is, don't let comfort get in the way of you doing what you know is right. Um, and not only that, but getting out of that comfort zone, being able to sacrifice comfort, um, it leads to excellence. Like at the very beginning, when we talked about the example of the Benjaminites, you know, purposefully learning how to shoot an arrow with their left hand so that they could be the best around. Uh, we too can do that. We can purposefully step out of our comfort zones and evangelize and worship and help and be hospitable. And the result is only going to be to the glory of God. It's going to result in souls saved. It's going to result in brethren encouraged. I mean, it's really a win-win. We just have to get over that hurdle of being comfortable. Comfort's nice. Don't get me wrong, comfort's good, and comfort zones in and of themselves aren't inherently bad or evil, but we need to be willing to stretch them. We need to be willing to step outside sometimes, uh, especially in matters of faith, in matters of giving God our best, in matters of, you know, our comfort zone sometimes too can include sin. Like, we can, you can get comfortable with sin, and you're like, man, I'm not willing to do something uncomfortable, or I'm not willing to do something radical to get that sin out of my life. Uh, you know, but Jesus says in, you know, uh, Matthew chapter five, that it's better to, you know, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut, you know, cut it off, throw it in the fire. It's better to uh, go through your life without a hand than to go to hell with your entire body intact. And obviously Jesus isn't, you know, trying to suggest that we physically mutilate ourselves. His point is be willing to get uncomfortable to get sin out of your life. I mean, get out of that comfort zone, shake things up. Be radical in your faith, be radical in your evangelism, be radical in trying to, uh, you know, put sin to death in your life. And I think the result is going to be awesomeness. The result is going to be encouraging for those around you, and God is going to be glorified. Uh, so there we have it, trying to step out of our comfort zones, trying to knock down the idol that is often comfort in our lives. Um, I'd love for you to, to join in the conversation, you know, find this post on Facebook, comment on it, what are some other what are some other things that comfort keeps us from keeps us from doing uh, for God? What are some things we know we should do for God, but we don't because we're not willing to be uncomfortable? I mean, I'm sure you can come up with a list uh, much longer than than things I've discussed here. I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email, forest at theologyetc.org. You know, hit us up on Twitter, hit us up on Facebook, whatever it is. So yeah, I hope that just we as Christians, you know, can be willing to put comfort aside and be willing to do big things because uh, the results are going to be awesome. Uh, you know, I hope you're willing to join me in that. There's work I need to do. There's things, there's there's comfort zones I need to step out of. And I'm praying that, that God will give me the strength to do just that. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please share. Please leave us a review, whatever it may be. Uh, I'm just glad, I'm just glad to, uh, to be here and to uh, get to talk to you guys for a little bit. Thanks again for tuning in and uh, I'll see you next time.